Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On May 16, 1937, French police discovered a grisly scene on the Paris metro. 29-year-old Leticia Toreau was lying on the floor of a train car with a knife jutting from her neck, blood everywhere. To those who knew her, the victim was just another Italian immigrant scraping by in a low-income neighborhood in Paris. But that night on the metro, Leticia looked anything but poor. Blood stained her brand-new matching green skirt and jacket. Her hands, which according to some accounts were grasping at the knife still stuck in her neck, were gloved. She was even in the Metro's expensive first-class car. French police officers forced their way through the growing crowd of onlookers to Leticia's side. As an officer bent down to her and tried to slow the bleeding, they asked the one question on everyone's mind that night. Who did this to you? Leticia stared at the officers hovering over her. She mouthed words, but no sound came out, her vocal cords useless. The officers scrambled to get her to the hospital, but by the time they arrived, the woman was already dead. The next morning, papers across the city led with the mysterious murder on the Paris metro. No one knew that Leticia's death was more than just a simple killing. It was part of a complex web of lies and deceit that stretched across all of Paris. Leticia had put herself in the middle of a city on the verge of civil war. And it cost her her life. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our final episode on Leticia Tarot. Last week, we covered Leticia's life and the events leading up to her so-called perfect murder. This week, we'll see who might have been responsible and why. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. 
May 16, 1937, began as a quiet night for Chief Inspector André Baillet. He needed it. Over the past few months, Paris had erupted into what felt like an all-out war between the communists and fascists. Protests and violent riots regularly raged in the streets, and the murders had begun to pile up. But that evening, it seemed like Baillet could finally relax. Until the call came in. A woman had been murdered in a first-class car on the Paris metro. She'd been stabbed in the neck behind her right ear, and the knife was still there. Baillet hung up and raced to the crime scene. By the time he arrived, the victim was already being loaded into the ambulance. Baillet hopped in and rode with her to the hospital. But she died before they could make it there. The young woman may not have managed to tell him what happened, but her clothing gave Baillet a few initial clues. First, he had her purse, which gave him the name Leticia Tarot. Second, she wore a pin on her lapel. It signaled her membership in the Ligue Republicaine de Bien Public, a rather exclusive and left-leaning social group dedicated to public service. But just as Baillet felt like he was starting to understand his victim, an interview with a witness threw everything into question. You're telling me that there was no one else in the compartment? That's right. Just her and... and all that blood. I don't know what else to tell you. My officer has multiple witnesses at the other station who will go on record that she was alone when the train left. Are you saying she did this to herself? Or maybe it was the Invisible Man? Do I have that right? I don't know anything about that, Inspector. All I know is that she was alone. Just her and the knife and the blood. So much blood. Well, not fully alone. There was at least someone else. You can't be serious. You think that I could have... That I would have... All right, cool down, Doc. Your fiancé and friends already gave you an alibi. But I just don't know how the killer got in and out of a moving train. Well, figure it out. Isn't that your job? The whole thing seemed impossible. Inspector Baillet sent Raymond on his way and tried to work through the timing. Leticia had gotten onto an empty train car alone. Around 60 seconds later, the car arrived at the next station... Raymond and his fiancée got into the same train car and found Leticia dead. How did the killer get on and off the moving train in such a short time? Suicide was the obvious answer, but the coroner quickly ruled out that possibility. There was no way Leticia's death was self-inflicted. No one could have stabbed themselves in the neck at that angle with such precision and force. The coroner also went one step further. They speculated that whoever did stab her was skilled with a blade, possibly a professional killer. The wound was precise and clean, and the murder weapon, a Lyol knife, was a common calling card for Italian and Alsatian hitmen. It seemed like Leticia Tarot had been assassinated, but who could have possibly wanted Leticia dead? When her story hit the local media, French newspapers painted her as an innocent girl who got caught up in the city's growing violence. She had found herself in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she'd paid for it with her life. But that narrative didn't sit well with Baillet. No professional assassin would waste their time targeting innocent bystanders. 
and her murder was too calculated to be a random act. Baye knew there was more to her story that he didn't know, a lot more. But Baye was beginning to feel that he was in over his head. He was used to dealing with small-town crimes, not the victims of professional killers. So he took his concerns to his boss, Police Commissioner Charles Badon. And it turned out that Baye's hunch was right. Badon told him that Leticia wasn't just an innocent girl. She was a police informant. Badan handed the case to Principal Inspector Moreau, who had an entire department of detectives at his disposal ready to dig into the murder investigation. They immediately got to work. But first, he had to figure out how the assassin got in and out of a moving train car to kill Leticia in the span of less than a minute. All the doors to the train car were locked, and no witnesses reported seeing anyone else. It seemed impossible that she'd been stabbed while the train was moving. But Inspector Moreau had a theory. What if Leticia was stabbed before the train even left the station? If the killer knew exactly when and where she would enter the train, they could get on and off before it even pulled away. But that kind of precision took planning and an intimate knowledge of Leticia's schedule. Inspector Moreau knew that the key to cracking this case wide open was to figure out where Leticia was going that night and who knew about her plans. So Moreau grabbed his trusty advisor, Corporal Levi, and headed to Leticia's apartment to search for clues. Nice place. Look at this furniture. It must have cost... Stay focused, Corporal. We're here for clues, not interior design tips. Inspector, these are clues. Hmm, maybe you're right. An immigrant girl working at a factory shouldn't be able to afford this stuff. And look at her desk. There's so many letters here, from Ramon and Tyler and a ton of others. Hey, listen to this. You are the light beneath my wings. One day, we'll be together. This letter is about the fascists and some kind of plan. Was she plotting some kind of far-right revolution with her lover? It's signed I-C-H. Whatever that means. Look at these notes. Times, locations, details about the leak. She was keeping tabs on someone. This isn't just some small-time police informant thing. I think Leticia Tarot was into something else. Something big. Something this ICH probably doesn't want us looking into. Moreau realized that Leticia wasn't just working for the French police. It seemed like she was spying for the fascist Italian Secret Service as well. That explained why she was involved with the Leftist League. Perhaps she was a mole. Coming up, we'll look at Leticia's involvement with far-right terrorist groups and how she found herself in the middle of a political battlefield. Hi, podcasters. it's Carter. Like you, I have an eclectic mix of can't-miss podcasts that I listen to each week, and one of my favorites is Supernatural with Ashley Flowers. Every Wednesday on Supernatural, host Ashley Flowers explains some of the biggest mysteries in the world, taking you on a journey through baffling events and sharing all the possible explanations, no matter how strange or surreal they get. 
whether it's sudden disappearances, alien abductions, or even mystifying murders, she presents the facts we know for sure and the theories that might be closer to the truth than we think. If you haven't had a chance to catch this Spotify original from ParCast yet, you're in for a wild ride. Follow Supernatural with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now back to the story. By July 16, 1937, only two months after Leticia Toro's murder, the police had hit a dead end. They knew the 29-year-old had been assassinated by a highly skilled and professional individual. They also knew that she was making money under the table as a private detective and likely as a spy for the Italian Secret Service. But they were no closer to finding her killer. And as the police struggled to find leads, the press had no problem filling their pages with increasingly more outlandish accusations and conspiracy theories about Leticia's death. The Parisian newspapers had recently become as partisan as the city itself, and the leftist and right-wing papers had very different beliefs about what constituted truth. On July 16th, the inspector general of the criminal police happened to pick up a communist newspaper called La Liberté. And when he saw what it was saying, he immediately shouted for commissioner Jean Boulon. You wanted to see me, sir? Come in, come in. Have you read the paper? That depends. Which one? La Liberté. I know, I know. Communist propaganda. But they're saying something interesting. The papers are saying a lot of things, sir. They think these killings of popular leftist figures are all tied together somehow. The Rosselli murders, Dmitry Navashin's slaying back in January, and now they're convinced that Leticia's death is connected as well. That's a lot of dots to connect, Inspector. You know how these papers are. They'll print whatever keeps them flying off the newsstands. And who do they say committed all these crimes? Some sort of flying fascist bat boy? They say it's the Kagul and I'm starting to think they might be right. Leticia Toro wasn't the only high-profile assassination in 1937. In January, Russian socialist activist Dmitry Navashin was murdered outside of his apartment. And in June, less than a month after Leticia's murder, two more highly regarded socialist sympathizers were murdered on a road in rural France, Carlo and Nello Rosselli. Both cases remained open, but leftist groups blamed the secretive far-right group called the Kagul, which translated to the Hooded Ones. At the time of Leticia's murder in the summer of 1937, French police knew at least two things about the Kagul. One, that they were a highly organized militia that had been smuggling guns in and out of France for the better part of the year. The second was that they were nearly untouchable because of the extraordinary wealth and political power behind them. And it turned out the group had direct ties to Leticia herself. 
Police believe that the mysterious ICH who wrote fascist letters to Leticia might have been none other than Gabriel Jante, a man who was rumored to be a founding member of the Cagoule. Commissioner Jean Bellon was fairly certain that Leticia was a member, or at least a strong sympathizer, of the Cagoule. It didn't make sense that they'd murder one of their own. But the inspector general seemed to think the Cagoule was behind her death, so Bellon had to at least look into the possibility. He brought the three murder cases to his fellow officer, Inspector Charles Genevier, and the two tried to find the connection. Honestly, I don't see it. But I have to chase the boss's suspicion so he can cross it off his list. I see where he's coming from. There's something here. I feel it. You feel it? Come on, Charles. You'll have to give me more than that. Fine. Look here. Both the Rosselli brothers and Navachine were stabbed to death, right? Just like Leticia. Sure, but they were killed with a bayonet, not a Lyol knife like Leticia. You want to tell me every unsolved knife attack is connected now? It's not just that. It's... it's... I don't know. I need to keep reading. (sighs) Be my guest. But don't expect me to stick around. Leave the files on my desk when you're done. Charles Chenevier had already made a name for himself in the French police force by solving a few difficult murder cases, and now he wanted to do it again. His gut told him that there was a connection between Leticia Toro and the communist murders. He just hadn't found it yet. No matter how much the pieces failed to add up, or how much Commissioner Boulin shot him down, he refused to move on. And then, one night in 1937, as he stared at the three case files for what seemed like the thousandth time, something finally clicked. Commissioner Boulogne! Sir! I just clocked out, Charles. I know. I've been trying to talk to you about the Kagul murders, but your secretary told me you were busy all day today, and yesterday, and the day before. And yet you still managed to track me down. Commissioner... I think there's something strange going on here. I was looking at the Rosselli brothers' murder again, and something just isn't adding up. Why would the Cagoule kill them at all? If I need to spell it out, you're not the cop I thought you were. The Cagoule are fascists. The Rossellis were outspoken liberal socialist leaders. But only to Italians. The Rosselli brothers weren't even French citizens. The Cagoule don't care about the Italian population. They're French nationalists, after all. Why would they care about the Italian anti-fascists? I'm tired, Charles. Why don't you tell me what you're implying and maybe fill me in on what it has to do with the murder of Leticia Tarot? I'm not completely sure yet, but maybe the Kagul aren't working alone. No one's asking you to do this, Inspector. My advice is to let this one go before you waste anyone else's time. With all due respect, Commissioner, no. Then you're on your own. Inspector Chenevier was on the verge of a discovery that would change more than just a murder investigation. He'd uncover an international conspiracy involving some of the most influential people in Europe. Coming up, we'll finally uncover Leticia's involvement with the Kagul and the potential reasons for her death. And now, back to the story. 
At the end of 1937, a Paris cop named Charles Chenevier was sure that the death of Leticia Thoreau was more than just a simple murder. He suspected Leticia was somehow connected to a mysterious group called the Cagoule, a right-wing terror organization responsible for a string of assassinations across France. But he couldn't figure out how. Chenevier was particularly interested in the double murder of Carlo and Nello Rosselli back in June. The police were convinced that Cagoule assassin Jean Filiol was behind their deaths, but something didn't add up to Chenevier. The Cagoule was made up of rich, high-society French nationalists. Their goal was pushing a fascist agenda in France, but why would they care at all about a pair of leftists from Italy? Unless, of course, the Cagoule was actually working with the Italian government. Suddenly, it started to make sense. The French police knew that the Cagoule were highly involved in the illegal gun smuggling trade. Half of that trade involved shipping guns to Spain in order to make a profit. The other half, however, involved receiving guns from foreign countries and maybe Italian dictator Benito Mussolini himself. Chenevier thought it was possible that the Italian Secret Service hired the Cagoule to assassinate the Rosselli brothers in exchange for a load of illegally smuggled guns. There were plenty of reasons for the Italian Secret Service to want the Rosselli brothers dead. Not only had they betrayed their home country, they could inspire other Italians to become anti-fascist activists. That not only explained why the Cagoule had carried out the hit, but it was also the beginning of a connection to Leticia Toro. The inspector knew that Leticia likely had a history of spying for the Italian Secret Service. Maybe that was the connection he had been looking for all along. If Leticia was working for the Italians and the Cagoule, she would have made a perfect middleman. He just needed proof that his hunch was correct. Chenevier started interviewing Leticia's friends, and when he sat down with a woman named Yvonne Riot, he found exactly what he was looking for. So, did Leticia ever talk to you much about politics? She did. She wouldn't shut up about it, honestly. Always going on about who was doing what and where they were doing it. Right. Did you get the notion that she leaned to one side of the political spectrum? Communist, perhaps. <laughs> Communist? Yeah, right. Leticia was on the complete other side of the spectrum. She went with all of those famous fascist men, too. I remember once, while I was sewing, she sat right where you're sitting right now and bragged to me that she was going to be at a reception in Italy with Count Ciano. Count Ciano? Wait, you mean she went to Italy? Oh, yes. She visited Italy all the time. You know, her father never moved to France. She was always going back to visit him. Didn't her other friends mention that? It must have slipped their minds. Chenevier was starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Maybe Leticia was more involved with the Cagoule than he and the French police originally thought. If the Cagoule were working with the Italian Secret Service to smuggle guns, then they'd need someone who could go back and forth from Italy to France without getting unwanted attention. Leticia was the perfect candidate. Since her father lived in Italy, she had an easy excuse to travel back to the country whenever she wanted. She also had no trouble coming back across the border since she had French citizenship from her marriage to her late husband, Jules. 
If the TCO is actually such an important piece of the alliance between the Kagul and the Italian government, both sides needed to trust her completely. And it sounded like Letizia had given them reason to worry. Chenevier heard from several of Letizia's friends that the girl was deeply on edge during the weeks leading up to her death. She wouldn't tell them what she was wrapped up in, but whatever it was, she wanted out. And neither the Italians nor the Kagul would have been very happy to hear about her cold feet. It's unclear what exactly caused Letizia's possible change of heart. Maybe she finally got fed up with her double life. Maybe she heard about the assassination plot against the Rosselli brothers and started to have second thoughts about a group that killed other Italian immigrants. It's even possible that Letizia tried to cash out on her far-right connections and sell information on the Kagul to the leftists or police. Whatever the case, the Kagul likely wanted her dead. And it seems they tried several times. First, there was a failed attack on the Paris metro. Another time, she was approached by someone menacing on the street, but managed to duck into the safety of her apartment before they could grab her. Both of these incidents had been dismissed by the police as not relevant, but Chenevier disagreed. Maybe when the Kagul tried and failed to assassinate Leticia, the Italian Secret Service decided to step in and take care of it themselves. Besides, the near impossibility of the murder itself pointed towards a sophisticated government operation. Inspector Chenevier had blown the case wide open. He had no idea how no one in the police department had seen it sooner. What had at first seemed to be a minor slaying of an immigrant girl had grown into an international conspiracy. He immediately grabbed his boss, Jean Ballon, and convinced him to take him straight to the top of the French police. We're, uh, sorry to bother you, Inspector General. This better be important. Yes, it better. Chenevier promises that it is, right? Of course. Thank you both for your time. I believe I've discovered something that could potentially crack the Leticia Tarot case wide open. Based on the leads you had us follow, Inspector General, I do believe that all threads from the Leticia Tarot case lead straight to the Kagul. I knew it! But I don't think it was the Kagul that murdered her. Actually, I think she was a member of the Kagul herself, and that the group responsible for her death are none other than the Italian Secret Service. What did you just say to me? Uh, the Italian Secret Service. It all lines up. If you just take a look at the files, I can- No! That's ridiculous! You've both wasted too much time on this one as it is. It's time to let this one go. The case is now closed. Good day, gentlemen. Well, hang on, Inspector General. I actually think Chenevier has some evidence here, sir, that's worth taking a look at Do if- Do I have to write you both up for insubordination? I said it's over! Inspector Chenevier, all of your case notes will be sealed away, and you will tell the press that this case is unsolvable. Now get out of my office. But- But nothing! Get going. And so, in 1938, the Leticia Toro case officially went unsolved. The public was told that the crime was most likely a plot by the Kagul, but the Italian Secret Service were never mentioned. This was, of course, right on the brink of World War II. The French saw their Nazi neighbors and knew that conflict was most likely imminent. At that time, however, they didn't know which side Italy was going to take. 
In those years, the French bent over backwards to try and keep good relations with the Italian government, if they went against Germany, and nothing would have soured their connection like taking action against the country for murdering Leticia Thoreau on French soil. Ultimately, it didn't matter anyway. Mussolini's Italy soon became one of Germany's largest allies in the war. In Paris, Leticia's unsolved murder lived on for years as a citywide mystery. Everyone seemed to have their own theories or speculations. One popular rumor was that Leticia was murdered by French serial killer Marcel Petio. Petio murdered over 50 people throughout the late 1930s and early 1940s, using the chaos of World War II to hide his actions. But there's no clear evidence linking Petio to Leticia's death. As for Chenevier's files, they were taken and filed away in the depths of the French police department, labeled classified. To this day, no one knows exactly what's inside many of those documents. At least, not yet. Classified police files are normally kept secret for 100 years, meaning that in 2038, Chenevier's files could finally be available for public viewing again, and the world may finally get an answer to the mysterious death of Leticia Thoreau and some clues into what exactly happened during those few fleeting seconds on the Paris metro that night. Until then, it remains a mystery. With all that said, I believe Leticia Thoreau was clearly assassinated by the Italian Secret Service. It seems like they found out that she was planning to quit or betray them, so the government put out a hit. I agree. I think that Kagul tried and failed to murder her in the weeks before her death. But when they couldn't successfully do the deed, they called in the big guns to finish the job for them. Leticia Thoreau was, in many ways, one of the first French victims of World War II. She got caught in a deadly struggle between fascists and left-wing radicals. When she tried to escape, she discovered that things had gotten way out of her control. By the time of her death, she had lived so many different lives as an immigrant daughter, a dance hall star, a heartbroken widow, and ultimately as a spy. But nearly a century later, she's only remembered as a victim of what seemed to be an impossible crime. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the mysterious death of Leticia Thoreau, Amongst the many sources we used, we found Murder in the Metro, Leticia Thoreau and the Cagoul in 1930s France by Gail K. Brunel and Annette Finley Crosswhite, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Frank Spiro, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Mickey Taylor. 
The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Eddie Lee, Joe Hernandez, and Laura Faye Smith. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 